Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy, joined by Steve Walsh, as always. Hello. And today we've got a special guest, uh, Martin Cloak, who Hi. is a journalist. So I've talked over you already, Martin. <laughs> I think I've talked over you, though, actually. So, you know. Nah, come on, you're the guest. He, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yeah, Martin's a journalist. Spurs fans listening will know your books, Martin, obviously. Hopefully. We uh, try and plug our Amazon link on the show, right? We've got, if, you go, if you're going to buy anything from Amazon... Go to southlandhardcore.com first and click the Amazon link and then you can uh, shop away and we'll get 5%. And somebody bought one of your books, actually. What, through your Amazon? Yeah. Fantastic. Like, we're just yeah. having a quick flip through the so reports use, and yeah. someone bought uh, Glory Glory Nights. Ah. Uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because yeah. you've, uh, on the Yids account, have talked about Martin's work. Well, well. Oh, my Twitter account is at Yids, just the Yids account. That's what I call them. That's what I call this. <laughs> yeah. Um, at SLHC is our Twitter, at Yids and at Jack McEnroe's mine, at Vince Wales for Steve, and at Martin Cloak with an E is uh, Martin, so follow us all, obviously. Martin was born and lived. Just <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right back to the start, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blue show, isn't it? <laughs> no, he's come out with a big red book. Yeah. Martin was born and lived in North London up until what age was it you? Uh... Uh, I was 35, 36. Right. So. I'm alive. Man and boy yeah. in North man London. And, boy, yeah. and now man in South London. Mm. Yeah, made the switch to South London. So now we're going to be talking about the experience of crossing a divide, coming to live in South London and making a home in it. You've made it sound like it's Berlin in the 70s. <laughs> 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 you know, he's climbed over the wall. <laughs> but that, that's, there is that thing, isn't there? That it's one of the things that you don't do. It's like, you know, you don't change your football team and you don't, you don't cross the river. That's, yeah. that's one of the London things. And, yeah, actually, quite a few people have done it, but not all that many, I don't think, as well. And I, you know, I was a very militant, confirmed North Londoner for a long time. You know, South London is bus land. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the kinder yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. nicknames I think North London yeah. has for South London. When I'm doing research for the show, you know, you just end up with Wikipedia, just like clicking through people, going, I wonder what, where they're from. And yeah, if you, do, you click on someone, it says Stepney. And I say, you don't look to see mm. if maybe they moved when they were a kid, because you're yeah. right, I think people don't yeah. tend to move, do yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. But you did, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I kind of moved around. I've lived in, uh, I've lived in lots of bits of North and East London, really, and then you know, latterly South London. West London is is. I've never really kind of worked much or, or lived over there, so it's almost West London is the bit that I don't mm. really know as much and have as much affinity with. Um, and you do, you do tend to move around. I mean, it's, it sounds a bit parochial that you know, always living in the same city. You know, I'm 47 years old and I've always lived in the same city. Uh, you know, I'm lucky that I've travelled around quite a bit as well, but. I've never had occasion for one reason or another, you know, to kind of to, to to live outside. So I suppose you live in lots of kind of different districts as well. But even that North London thing is is that, that there's that triangle which is kind of Harringay, Camden, and Islington, which people mm. really, when they're talking about North London, they're talking about that that quite small bit of it, uh, you know, which is really changing around uh, mm. uh, the whole atmosphere. Because my family on my mum's side are from around Finsbury Park and Manor House, which in the end, then Hornsey, and then up into kind of Muswell Hill. And it's odd again how areas change, and it's partly, and I've talked to you guys about it before, that picking up, you know, the, the, the sort of the idea of what different districts are like in this part mm-hmm. of London as well. And that you, you there's a show a couple of weeks ago, you talked about psychogeography of London, but I think that that's a really accurate description of a lot of things there. It's just that, well, what's the feel of this place? Am I safe? Am I, do I stick out here? Do I know about mm-hmm. this as well? Uh, and I found that quite difficult when I came down because I was very conscious that, you know, I'd lived somewhere for 31 years and there was, like, my manor in, in, in North London. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of I lived on the Camp Chief Road for a while and I lived around Bethnal Green, but mostly it was kind of like Camden, Islington, Harringay bit. And I, and I knew it. I knew it inside out. Uh, I knew how it worked. I knew what was below the surface. And then, of course, I came down to South London. And it sounds stupid, you know, so here's... I've lived in one city all my life and then I come to the southern part of the city and it's like, I don't know where I am, you know, I'd fall... I think I fell asleep on a train and ended up in... So we moved to Forest Hill, where I still am at the moment. I ended up in Kent House, which is, I now know, only just down the road. And I'm yeah. like, where, the, I, how, where am I? Where is this? How do I get back from anywhere? Three, three clear, five, six to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sydney, you yeah. can get a 185 rest of yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about the, the psychogeography of London, and particularly the idea you have of, of the other parts of London. Mm. You know, And it, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? There's the idea of you know, in inverted commas, the nice parts of London. Mm. And then, because they're seen as that, people uh, with more money move there, mm. and then businesses grow around them to service mm. those people, and they are 
you know, in inverted commas, nice parts of London. And the not nice parts of London, people move out of there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're abandoned. So businesses move out of there and they become not nice parts of London. So it's almost like, as I say, this, this cycle where the way you think about an area, and mm. that is, that's what psychogeography is. The way you think about an area is what the area mm. becomes. And what the area becomes is what you think about the area. So it does, oh, it's, it's yeah. a dangerous game to play, I think, mm. to sort of go. Uh, but, you know, I, I do it. It's interesting what you say about, the alien feel. Like I've always said that if I go to, you know, uh, Walthamstow or Camden, I might as well be in Brussels. Do you know what I mean? It might as well just be another European city. I can recognise the signs and I know the sort of the the buses look similar. But sometimes like phone boxes, just they just froze you. I'm yeah, like, he, yeah. Steve, Steve will exaggerate about the difference between North and South London. He's known. I, to, I, uh, no, like, I, I've kind of, I've, I appreciate that um, South London is a uh, quite an abstract concept. Uh, mm. Not abstract concepts, but do you know what I mean? Quite a loose kind of thing. We have our own vision of what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And the show, you know, we've kind of created this kind of semi-city in a way. Whereas Steve seems to wholeheartedly believe that just like this, <laughs> he might have to show his passport to go yeah. over the river. <laughs> that, I mean, South London is, is, you know, it's much bigger. And there's like, you know, when people talk about North London, there's that very small triangle. Yeah, it's not central yeah, London, it's not West London, not East yeah. London. It's, a lot of the time yeah. we were from outside London as well have moved in and that, that's their bit. And uh, you, there's a lot of, you know, Outsiders sounds like a bit of a horrible word. There's a lot of people from outside London who live in that bit as well. But South London, it is huge, and that's that's one of the things I couldn't get to grits with. And when I came, you know, I had a mate who lived in in Lee for a while, and uh, yeah, that's I went far, out with a girl who, yeah. who lived down um, near Catford uh, at one stage. I used to go down and uh, well, that's see good. her down that's there. That's good. If that's if you well, down and the thing that I kind of got with that, I come from you know Muswell Hill was very suburban, and we'll come back to that maybe in a minute where, where I grew up, but. But just the, the street after street after street of suburban houses in South London, these massive areas, which uh, it, it, it wasn't like that in a bit of North London that I grew up in. That they were like, it was like pockets. Uh, you know, so you had like the kind of big houses at the top end of Muswell Hill where it was always quite well off. Mm. Uh, but where I grew up was, was, a, was a council estate on, you know, down near the North Circular Road. Um, near the uh, near the big cemetery in the old Cobbettswood Isolation Hospital, and my wife, who, who's from East London, always takes the, the piss out of me. She says, "Oh, you're going about growing up in a council estate, but it was Muswell Hill, you know. It's not exactly, <laughs> it's exactly boys in the hood or something." <laughs> so, so yeah, but, but Muswell Hill wasn't Muswell Hill was kind of a bit posh and it was a bit middle class, but it wasn't what it's like now. And I, I when I was in my late teens, I, I, my first job when I left school was I was working as a library clerk. So you used to kind of come across a lot of the you know, local society, and there was a mix of there was a kind of bedsit land thing. And it was around the time of the, um, there was a uh, famous, uh, as a serial killer, uh, Cranley Gardens Strangler, who used to drink in the, in the, in the John Baird pub in Muswell Hill Broadway, where we used to drink from the library as well. Uh, and there was this whole kind of bedsit, kind of slightly sort of lost sort of seedy bit to it as well. As well as like, you know, there, you know I think Alvin Stardust and Lisa Goddard used to be seen sort of uh, going around <laughs> Sainsbury's and everything like that. And Aristotle did actually have those fingerless gloves on when he was pushing the trolley as well. So you used to see famous people and there were well-off people there as well. But there was more of a mix. And one of the things I, I kind of wanted to get out of there after a while because there was a kind of small-mindedness and a kind of we're better than everybody else attitude about parts of, of it up there. Um, which I think then kind of spread around this that whole kind of Camden Islington bit now as well, yeah. which is which has been, you know, maybe yuppified is a bit of an old-fashioned word, but it's certainly been gentrified. Yeah. Um, and I was very conscious of that when I moved down here because I quite liked the facts. Well, after I kind of got used to it for a while, that people were, were were more down to earth and they were like I remembered when I was kind of growing up in North London. Um, like and I'm sure, yeah. Time. yeah. But, but, <laughs> but to a lot of people down here, I like the fact that you've got people that lived, you know, two or three generations of a family or whatever, and everybody was pretty down to earth. But, to, you know, I've always felt working class. My dad was a postman, my mum worked in a shop, and, you know, all the rest of it. That's a whole other discussion about, you know, how do you define class and what do you feel as well? Yeah. And, you know, have you got a chip on your shoulder about it or not? But there's a particular kind of sort of very sharp elbowed kind of offensive middle classness that's always got my back up, which I didn't like about parts of Muswell Hill. Uh, and, and you get that with the gentrification of a lot of areas as well. I'm sure when we first moved down here, and we moved down really because of the house prices, we couldn't afford to buy anywhere else in terms of what we wanted and you know, we were planning to have kids and that. So we were looking down here and my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, had been to Camberwell Art School and had lived around Forest Hill and said, well, let's have a look down there. And I'm like, but that is South London, you know. <laughs> we're, not going, we're not going down there. Listen and I kind of always dragged down, as reluctantly sort yeah. of dragged down. But, and so when we moved in, I'm sure we were seen as like, you know, the gentrifying, because we were the kind of middle-class professionals. And yeah. I've never, you know, to one intense purpose, I am, you know, I'm a white-collar job, I'm a journalist, you know, I'm, you know, things are okay. And, uh, 
to most people, I would come across as, as, as middle class. But what I quite liked was just that uh, people were, were just much more down to earth and they seemed more genuine down here as well. So that, that was me kind of first thinking, okay, it's, you know, it's all right down here. Um, and I suppose when you've got young kids, you know, then you kind of meet other people. There's that whole kind of schools thing. But I've seen that over the 10 years, 10, 11 years that I've been down here around Forest Hill and Lordship Lane as well. You know, East Dulwich has got yeah. that. That's now pretty much like Crouch End, yeah. uh, which is an area that I spent a lot of time in the early to mid 80s going to parties. And it was a very kind of down at hill. You know, there were people that had some money there, but it was like, you know, roadies from Hawkwind having parties down Middle Lane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was always, a, you know, sort of some somebody had some dope and whatever and it was just you kind of just partied and you, you kind of got on with stuff and it was just what it was um and it's now got incredibly you know that whole kind of nappy valley bit as well yeah um you know sort of writing if they've kind of run out of you know sort of exotic vegetables in the weight or something like that <laughs> yeah it and, is. And, and i remember lord like we looked around sort of east dulwich when we first needed to move down here and for whatever reason didn't get somewhere around there but that seems to have really turned into that and i'm kind of quite pleased about that in a way now as well and it's odd seeing a lot of the old pubs kind of changing and yeah uh, it, it all, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, the kind of corporates move in and everything becomes the same. Everywhere is a gastro pub, everywhere is a wine bar or something like that, you know. It's really odd, particularly I, I grew up in Camberwell and going along to Camberwell Church Street and just seeing all the, essentially they were sort of spit and sawdust pubs mm. that used to, you know, it was a, uh, the Stirling Castle, which yeah. was like well, the first place I ever saw anything to do with Satanta. And this was when Satanta first started. And basically they were Irish guys they used to hire out uh, satellite receivers and big screens to show... Hurling. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hurling, uh, Gaelic football, and Ireland's uh, football internationals. Because mm. obviously it wouldn't be shown on... Um, the only time uh, the Republic of Ireland get on BBC or ITV is when all the other uh, home nations are, are out yeah, of the tournament. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't think so. I, that's, well, no, there's a different debate. Yeah. Yeah, but I always thought uh, the opposite was true. That the Ireland got far too yeah, much. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, this was this. They, they set up this very specific service. Like, and it used to be, you know, they'd have the big Satanta screen up, and they'd have like a, a sign outside. Um, and you go in there now, and uh, the idea of you know a bunch of uh, paddies. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> just uh, uh, you know Irish. Families and friends uh, meeting to watch uh, a football match seems ridiculous. Mm. Let, let alone a hurling match seems ridiculous because it is. You just go in there and it's a huge student thing, but it is a huge. There has been a, a sort of uh, with Campbell Grove, the resurgence mm. of Campbell Grove. There's been a, a big sort of middle class move into not directly the area, but the area mm. around it. And similarly with Lordship Lane, I moved into uh, Dulwich just as that was taking off, mm. and I was just uh, just off North Cross Road. I don't know if you oh, know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was like, it was just really funny. It was like this really shabby uh, cab office and this funny little calf. But then in the middle of it, there was this uh, sort of gift shoppy type thing, basically just to just sort of like lampshades mm. and you know, just things, just far too much homeware that anyone needs. And like you know, uh, handmade cards. It just seemed yeah. really odd. But Strip then suddenly, and cushions all that sort of yeah, stuff. I see. Yeah. But so if you go down North Cross Road now, it's, that's all the shops are there. That's all that's there. Yeah, yeah. There's probably mm. one dodgy cab office, and he's the mm. odd one out now. That's the thing. You know, there. Mm. So it's, it has been this sort of uh, transformation. You know, I don't know for for better or worse. I mean, you know, clearly uh, these shops are selling very nice things, but uh, same as Campbell, I can't afford to live in these places mm. where uh, Campbell is still. You know, quite grimy. And yeah, it is. Well, I still can't afford to live there. But, but yeah, <laughs> East, East Dulwich is, yeah, it's fully, yeah, it's, it's very it's, much it's, part it's, of Dulwich. Yeah. Having the mix is is, is really good. Cause we, I was talking to somebody the other day, a fellow I used to work with who I bumped into on the way home from work, who, who lives on um, uh, Camberwell Grove, and we're talking about that fantastic, uh, the secret history of our streets. Brilliant, and I, think, I thought the one on the Grove was great. And fantastic. my missus always remembers, she said, well, you know, there was always like a fairly sort of bohemian, slightly mm. well-off artistic community around there as well. And, but... Uh, but in that road, and that programme really brought it out well, that, that actually people didn't care. You know, there was a banker living next to the anarchist yeah, squad, yeah. and then there was someone. And people kind of, there wasn't, I don't know whether it's people or whether it's just, a, you know, the, the, the economic times or whatever, but there's, there seems to be this move that let's make everything the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let's make this thing in the image of us. And I, th I don't know what it will change in the next, 
I suppose maybe, you know, sort of back in the areas that I grew up in and maybe that move on because there's a lot of that whole middle class, particular sort of middle class colonisation of an area. Mm. But then when the kids grow up, it's like, well, the schools really aren't very good around here, are they? And people then move out. So yeah. what, you know, what we've got around where I am now is there's a kind of move down towards kind of Beckenham and Bromley and, yeah. and out that way and then out into kind of Kent or, you know, sort of maybe then sort of Surrey in that way as well so there's that there's that kind of move out and it's often people who aren't Londoners as well who just uh, and you know London can be a tough very unfriendly city as well I mean I you know I am a confirmed Londoner and I, I absolutely love the place as well but I know it, it can be it can be pretty hard sometimes so I know why people don't like it and they want to get out of it well but, it's just it's so full of people isn't it I yeah. think if you, we were talking about earlier if you come into central London at certain times the, the, the mass of people and a lot of people mm. are completely put off like that and mm. you know can't get on with it at all particularly I think if if you've moved into London from outside London initially that can be quite mm. exciting but you, it can mm. grind you down as well mm. I think it can it's, there's a whole thing I think if you know somewhere I'm always if I go to a foreign capital city I'm always conscious that I'm a tourist and I must be I must look like a tourist because I can tell the tourists you know when you walk around London, yeah. Central London you can tell yeah, yeah. who's a tourist <laughs> and that's it and it, it, you know there's, there's nothing wrong with it but it, it's just it, it's an odd feeling and I think maybe sometimes I sort of hold myself back in other places but some of it as well is that there, there is an age thing as well because again you know, when I was growing up, there, there are places that I, I pubs and things, for example, you know, I would always like going into a pub, but hmm. there are pubs that I walked into back then, which I would think twice about now. Now, that's possibly because I'm older, it's possibly because I'm more middle class, you know, <laughs> it's possibly because of whatever, but, you know, and I don't think I'm stuck up about it at all, no, but no. There, you, you kind of, you check yourself a little bit sometimes, and so that that kind of stops you finding out because actually it's in the it's in the pubs and the clubs and you know it's music particularly is the thing that we me and my mates kind of found out a lot about London we started traveling further afield you know the first times I was coming to South London wasn't for for football it was going to see gigs I remember going to see Gil Scott Heron in the in the late 80s in Peckham at some community center in Peckham you know it's brilliant or going to the venue which was always a shit hole it was fantastic you know uh, and seeing gigs and we used to go to the comedy at the creek in Woolwich and all that sort of stuff you know so there was the there was a bit of a scene that went on and slightly even before my time I think there was a big a lot of the Arsenal casuals used to the soul boys used to go to clubs in Bromley there was a big club in Bromley which was like really big on the whole kind of casual sort of scene and there was a bit of you know like proper northern soul rather than what people call northern soul now was was I think that was kind of coming through there as well. So you kind of hear, oh, yeah, Bromley, yeah, I, I think I know where that is, you know. Yeah. Long way to go, isn't it? I, I, I'm not big on the, the Northern Soul scene at all, but as far as I understand, it's always been more provincial in terms of the best yeah. nights. The best oh, nights have always yeah. been far out. There's never been yeah. it's not, a it's good not really Northern London Soul night in yeah. central London, is there? Which is odd, really, yeah. isn't it? It's not, it's not really a London thing, and it's no. kind of got watered down. I mean, it's not my, you know, sort of big sort of area of music either, but it's not... I think it's one of those things that, you know, everyone was a mod and now everyone's into Northern Soul or whatever, and... Well, actually, you weren't, were you? You kind of liked a bit of stuff, and that was it. But it is, it's that whole kind of music and fashion thing, and that, that makes you, it's back to the psychogeography thing again as well, how do things fit together? But it's also that knowledge of, like, actually, you know, I wouldn't go to Southgate on that night, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to Clapham then, you know, because actually it's a bit ropey, you know, and you need to watch yourself, you know, because there's some people around there, and it's their manner, you know. Uh, and a lot of that is bollocks, but also it's always been part of London, and there's that whole sort of confidence and the fine line between you know respect and disrespect as well, which I, I suppose is you know postcode wars and whatever now yeah. allegedly, and whether as you're older you kind of think that it's more of a big deal. You know what, what people used to think of us when we were kids and stuff. We used to get up to I don't know because you don't see it in the same way. So I think it's always important to remember that as well. A lot of people who are kind of very condemnatory of you know what the youth culture is doing now. It's like well. You used to be 18 once, didn't you? You know, and probably you made a few mistakes, didn't you? Too. So it's the idea that youth crime is a 21st century phenomenon, isn't it? Where you, you can read like you know Dickens if you want, yeah. and there's some, there's some kids getting up some some terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. Know. It wasn't even invented in the 1950s, was it's, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I yeah. it was around before and, then, you know. And and that's another thing is that you know the idea of and and I suppose it is you know online the sort of the, the generation of even now that is the most common area is the mm. one that grew up in the 50s mm. and 60s and harken back to it as a golden age. Mm. But then you sort of hear stories that these people tell themselves from back then. You go, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, and as we know, there's enough high-profile uh, cases. You know, it was a, uh, you know, to go a bit broader on it, someone um, made the point the other day about the sort of media coverage of the Phil Pot case, which is mm. awful. But um, the idea that, you know, this demonises the working classes... Mm. Um, and some guy on Twitter just sort of said, "Do you remember when Harold Shipman deliberately killed hundreds of people, and we mm. all turned on the middle classes?" Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, yeah, and that, that, that point's been made a few times as well, yeah. isn't it? But I mean, that that 
I think maybe that goes back if you look at the history of the whole thing, the, the, you know, the whole kind of divide between North and South London, because traditionally uh, there, there was that thing that, that you know, the South, South London was the kind of the great unwashed, the threat, and the, yeah. the, apparently, kind of reading up on bits and pieces, the, the, the only bit of, um, of, of the whole city which is, a, is designed on a grid system, because most big European cities, American cities, are designed on grid systems, the only bit that's designed on a grid system is around Whitehall and the Houses of Parliament. And those streets, I suppose, they were wide enough to turn a troop of cavalry uh, because they were worried about the Irish hordes and the great unwashed <laughs> working classes coming from south of the river to storm the Houses of Parliament. And that, that's, that's what, you know, that's the, the, the physical geography of that place is all mm-hmm. there. And even if you go just back into the early years of the 20th century, there was that thing of, of you know, Bermondsey, which was always a bit of a place apart, and I think every London knew that as well. But, you know, you, you went, the Elephant Castle was as far south as you went. You'd be on there... Look, we're not going down there. Yeah. And there were places, you know, when my nan grew up around sort of Hornsey, Finsbury Park, there's a road called Campbell Bunk, which, you know, the police would never go down, you know, unless there was like four of them or something like that. And <laughs> so you always get areas, but there was that fear. And I think if you look at a lot of the literature and the folklore of London, there's that whole thing about, you know, this, what, what lies just south of the river, what lies beyond the elephant, you know, that's a bit ropey. <laughs> and, the ele- you know, the elephant was, it was bawdy, you know, there were the drinking houses, it was yeah. rough, there was prostitution, there was you know, this kind of anarchy, you know, social anarchy sort of that was down there in terms of the way people lived as well, which, you know, that stuff was going on in North London as well, but it's almost seemed that there's this kind of, this, this heaving mass that's south of the river, and that, that, that kind of impressed itself on the personality of the city, I think, as well. Well, South London's origins and roots are anarchy. It was always, mm. it was, you know, the borough opposed to the city, mm. and it was the idea that, you know, you had the city of London police, and, you know, and I'm talking obviously hundreds of years ago now, but South London wasn't policed. Mm. It, was, it was elements of regulation, but it was a thing where, you know, criminals would run across the river mm. uh, and get to Southwark, and they could find sanctuary. Mm. There were places where you couldn't be touched by law once yeah, you were yeah. in Southwark. So it became, and again, it's, it's psychogeography. If that's what that place is and that's who's going to go there, then that is what mm. that place is going to be. And it's much closer, in there. And, you know, the people imagine, I've still, you know, mates of mine still come, oh, so it's not that far out of central London, really, is it? And I used to be like that as well. And it's like, you know, where I live now, it, I, I didn't used to think I grew up in the suburbs because I just thought I live in London. But actually, you know, Muswell Hill is about as suburban as you're going to get in London as well. Uh, and, you know, Muswell Hill and, and Highgate and Tottenham were all, back in the day, they were villages quite a way outside London. Whereas, you know, Southwark and... You know, sort of as you get down into Lewisham, that that was London as yeah. well. And it's like it's twenty minutes from where I live into I can be at the river, you know, train from Forest Hill to London Bridge, twenty minutes. Takes a damn sight longer than that to get from, mm-hmm. from Muswell Hill, you know, which is also bustling, you know, <laughs> to uh, you know to into into the centre of town. But there's this view that, that that's London, you know, Camden's London, you know, Hornsey, Highgate, all that that's London, but once you kind of get beyond the Elephant Castle, that's sort of becoming Kent, really, isn't it? That's the countryside, <laughs> you know. And yeah. you still get it around my way, because I thought, you know, it's all going to be Crystal Palace, yeah, you know, the kind yeah. of football thing. And it, it's a massive Millwall area. A lot of the older boys at Charlton, so there's a generation thing there as well, huge Millwall, and they go, Palace, they're a fucking Kent club, you know. And it's like, <laughs> they, get, they get dogs of you. And that was funny when I was listening to the, the Dulwich Hamlet programme oh, that you Michi. did a few, few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and Michi yeah. was going on about... And, you know, I knew that Dulwich wasn't like posh Dulwich because, you know, there was the whole kind of Camberwell bit and there's Dulwich yeah. and Dulwich. But he was going on about Crystal Palace being like, well, that's where all the knobs come from. And I was <laughs> yeah. just thinking that... Was it all the first of all? I thought, was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought Crystal Palace was a bit with you. Know, I thought, you know, yeah. So I thought Dulwich is where all the knobs come from. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's quite but things like that are fascinating, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, again, I think uh, Robert was talking, uh, Robert Noivel was talking about this on Twitter the other day about um, the sort of hardcore socialist element at <laughs> Dulwich Hamlet. And it's true, there really is, yeah. isn't there? There really is this um, quite radical streak that runs through uh, a lot of the supporters in terms of like left wing politics. It's not a coincidence, is it? The fact that they think that. It's such a small number of people, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. That, even so, I think it's quite impressive to have this sort of... Nine quid a week going to watch non-league football. (laughs) But yeah, like you 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 were saying, you come across it all the time. I remember being in New Cross, which is like so... Very, almost not central, but do you know what I mean. And like oh, coming out of uh, yeah. someone coming out coming out of a house party, someone be like, "Where, where are we?" It's like, "Well, we're in Newcross, you know. Mm. Why am I going to get home with well, like five buses there? You can get mm. you get the train, you know." And people still just wandering around like they're in the yeah. countryside. Even Elephant Castle is in Zone One. Yeah. Zone One. What was the thing? At, like, um, uh, the pulp thing about the pulp song set in Peckham. 
and they were like, "Oh, and the out, yeah, they referred to it as the outskirts of London." Yeah, yeah I I think, really was that even in the liner notes? I think it was the liner notes. Yeah, they yeah. peck on the outskirts. Well, I don't even I picked up on that because I did have a brief period that I, I shared a flat with somebody who uh, lived. We lived in uh, in Nuned. Um, so just over the back, and we used to we used to walk down to Peckham Highway to get the, the do the sort of Sainsbury's on the on the Saturday, come back with a couple of bays, and then stop off in the Nags Ed, which of course is the Nags Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, um, right there. Where, yeah. It was, where it was all based, uh, and then go back up there, and there was a printer's pub actually just over the back of where we lived, um, which uh, I think it was a time of the print dispute at Wapping, and they they uh, they always said like there was a collection on the on the bar because uh, it was a. Uh, all the, the, the print used to drink in there, and I think there was, um, was Gautry Road. I think it was. There's a place oh, called the Swiss there. Tavern. Gautry Road, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's knocked down, yeah. down a couple of years ago. The Swiss Tavern's gone, yeah, is it? Because my missus remembers it because she used to live at the same time as I was living there, but years before I met her, she lived around the corner on the main road with a mate of hers, and they used to go in there, and that that was a bit riotous that pub as well. Though it got it got pretty. There was a few stabbings. I remember yeah, you'd when you'd that... wake up and there'd be like blood on the pavement outside as well, even when I was living there. So do you think you've got to grips with Forest Hill by now then? Yeah, but it's a different thing. I mean, I'm a sort of, you know, middle-aged sort of dad, you know, sort of, and I don't, I don't do a lot of the things that I used to do, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to kind of carry the stuff off, so, you know. Yeah, you're not going yeah. to a house party where it yeah. might be a bit dodgy, isn't it? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. sort of, you know. Well, I suppose I've got, you know, you know, it's what my kids will start doing in the next, the next few <laughs> years as well. I kind of turn into that, really. So, it's odd. I mean, I still, I still feel like 20, really. I'm not quite sure how I was ever given responsibility for, for anything <laughs> at all, so <laughs> I think I suppose. But I think, again, you know, we're, everyone, we're all growing up later now, didn't that yeah, we used to as well, but uh, and I think you know what a lot of a lot of my you know really through my twenties and living in North London, it was a kind of extended and a lot of that went with the whole you know I went to I worked for a couple of years and I went to college because you know at that stage if you you know getting a degree meant you could get a decent job and I'd sort of done some I'd got as far as I could and thought I need to do a little bit more, but there's a, that kind of extended student lifestyle which a lot of people live right up until you know sort of their early thirties mid thirties now, which didn't used to happen at all. You know yeah. my parents' generation, you know. By the time you were thirty, that was that was quite old, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of people with you know smoking a pipe on the train and reading the Times or whatever. Whereas now you just think, so what, you know? Yeah, the whole forty is yeah. the new thirty. Yeah, I mean, forty twenty. Like, that's gone, is, you know. Uh, you know but, <laughs> I mean, it's true though, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> but there's stuff that you cut, you sort of have to watch. I suppose you sort of watch yourself a bit, and you don't do the same thing. And there's you know, there's nothing more dreadful than some sort of old geezer trying to sort of you know be young and using phrases like "down with the kids" and you know all this sort of <laughs> stuff as well. <laughs> um, but but you, you kind of miss stuff as well, and I think you know that you, it is that it's a subculture that, that that makes any city, and I think it's harder the more established you get and the more set you get, the harder it is to pick up on a lot of that as well. So and you know I know that you know I feel I feel more at home now. My mum still lives up in, in Muswell Hill. I feel at home in South London. I feel comfortable there. But I know. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I'm never going to be a South Londoner. I can never convince somebody that is a South Londoner. But in some respects, it doesn't matter as much. I say, well, you know, actually, it's a genuine thing. I do. I do genuinely love the city, uh, and I feel lucky to have lived in lots of parts of it and kind of just seen how it works and you know let it exist around you. That's kind of quite, you know, it can be quite frightening at times, but it's also it's, it can be really rewarding as well. So you, you get a, get a lot out of it. And I think it does, it does set you up well. I think you can deal with most things if you can. It's like learning to drive in London, you know. If you can drive in London, then <laughs> you can, you're pretty much sweet. Yeah, anyway, yeah. you know, possibly being a cab driver in Delhi, I don't know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit earlier where you uh, described yourself as parochial because you've only lived in London, uh, but you like you lived in North and South mm-hmm. London. I've lived only in South London in a couple of places. Jack famously. <laughs> Yeah, the first 25 years I only lived... I mean, we lived in four different places, but only on interconnecting streets. Right. <laughs> and, but that's, that's, that's actually quite unusual now, but that used to be really common. That, yeah. that, was, that was what we did, you know. It was a working-class thing, wasn't it? It was a community thing. Yeah. Right. I think there's a big difference where if you are born in London and fairly central, <clears> like it was Woolworth I'm from, so <clears> it's very, you know, close to the central London. Where are you going to go? I mean, these <clears> people that you know who are from, like, Derby or, <clears> you know even say somewhere like Manchester or, or you know, Devon or whatever, mm. they're coming to London because this is the mm. place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas if you're from London, like, well, you're not really... I, I think most people are not necessarily in a hurry to get out, you know, maybe no. move around a bit. I, I, I think... I, I, it sounds, again, it's a bit odd. It's not... It's almost like an acceptable prejudice, but I, I kind of get a bit fed up sometimes because I think, I think you quite rarely meet Londoners in London. There's a lot of people, and there is that, people come to London for a reason, for work, or whatever, and I know that Londoners... 
has taken the piss, if you like, out of a lot of the rest of the country. But actually, there's a reason that everything is in here. You know, mm. it's what the, you know, the centre of a lot of industries and, and more people are there. So it is going to get more stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better than anywhere else, but they're the whole kind of resource thing. But people come to London for a reason. But a lot of people that then really have a go at it are actually people who aren't Londoners, and they, in the end they want to get out. I think, fine, you know, it, it's mm. kind of up to you. You know, you don't have to like, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in Manchester and Glasgow, and I, I love both the cities. You know, I mean, I've been to Manchester for a long time, and that's, that's really changed uh, the last few times. I've kind of had fleeting visits up there as well. Um, but I kind of I resent slightly when people have a go at London because I think that's that's where I'm from and I know the mm. bad stuff. But you know it's a bit like the Tottenham thing. You know it might be a shithole, but it's our shithole or you know <laughs> the venue or whatever like that. Places that mean something to you. And a lot of it is people that aren't Londoners uh, who actually don't particularly want to stay in London. Uh, and that whole kind of movement because what you had in the East End that there was there was that there was you could see that in terms of people were moved out of the East End up sort of you know at the Essex corridor or whatever. But in terms of what's happened in the rest of London with the old kind of working class communities, that there's not been a movement of them, you know, there's, there's, there's been like an atomization. People are kind of scattered around a bit and then there's a mix up, you know, and there are, you know, people that come from outside London have more, have embraced London more than a lot of people that were born in London and didn't like it as well. So there's this odd kind of set of feelings that, that people have got about a place and there's a defensiveness and a, you know, kind of how you're critical about it as well. Glenn made a good point as well when we talked to him on uh, that episode where he said, one of the things about London is people move to London having an idea about what that's going to be in London. Mm. And it's almost like London's duty then to provide that life for them. Mm. So they, it, and, and again, it is, they, they shape the city around mm. it. So as you say, in terms of like culture and industry, and we said it on the show as well, it, it does seem like a real shame because if you get people moving to London from Bristol and Derby and Coventry, then, you know, they're coming to London to do you know, things to work or to create mm. culture or whatever. But if they're not doing it there, then it does, you know, you get this sort of critical mass in London, but it's the detriment to the rest of the country, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. things like the BBC moving to, to Manchester, Manchester yeah, yeah. Is, is a great yeah. thing, you know. You don't have to necessarily mm. be in London to sort of, you know, you need to sort of, you know, for the sake of the, the, the country as a whole to sort mm. of, you know, spread things out. I think there's a reason to spread it out. But I mean, there's a debate that, that goes on. You know, the, 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 one, the reason the BBC was in London was because that, that's where the political centre was. Mm. That's where the commercial centre was, the economic centre, a lot of the... And, you know, you look at something like The One Show at the moment, you know, which is, which is now in Manchester, Light Entertainment Early Evening. They're not getting the guests on there because people aren't going to Manchester, which sounds a bit, again, you know, well... You know, just you know, you get your charter taxi or your your yeah, flight up yeah. there. You know, if you're a celebrity, but people aren't aren't going up there. So it's almost you know, was that the first thing to move, or did that need to reflect what was going on elsewhere? So you had the opposite with this morning, didn't you? Which was mm. filmed up in Liverpool, but moved yeah. to London because they were like Tom Cruise isn't going to. When be... did they move mm. to? Oh, I didn't realise they were ever uh... this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's like was it Liverpool or Manchester? Was I, thought, I, thought it, I thought it was Manchester. Oh, okay, yeah, but it was, it was it was yeah filmed up in the north, but they were like. You know, if Tom Cruise is coming to England, he's coming to London mm. for it. But, and it. but as I say, this is the problem, isn't it? You know, mm. I love London. And I, mm. You know, what, what I love about London is the fact that there is a lot of things going on here. Mm. But I just, it can't be healthy for the state of the it nation. And, and, and there, is, there, is an, there was an arrogance about it. But it was, again, that whole thing of, of you know, I, my kind of, you know, growing up in formative years and certainly a lot of my politics were, were, was formed in, you know, under sort of, you know, when Thatcher was first in power and the whole thing that's happening there. And there was this idea that the North-South divide started being talking about, you know, so like everybody in the North was really poor. Uh, uh, but in London, where the streets are, you know, we're all really rich. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, have yeah. you been to Hackney? Yeah, have you, yeah. been, have you yeah. been to Wood Green? Have you been to Turnpike Lane? Have you been to Catford Lewisham, whatever? You know, there was massive levels of unemployment in London. There were, people were genuinely poor, not relatively poor. They were absolutely poor as well. And that used to really get me, this idea that, you know, they, they get it all in London. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, we don't, actually. You know, some people get it all. And in a way, that's what's changed. There's a, the danger is with London at the moment, if you look at just, you know, the housing market or whatever, the property market, there is so much money coming in, you know, Russian, Middle Eastern money yeah. or whatever. Uh, and it, that, that whole idea of London as a place apart from the rest of the country has, has now kind of morphed into a lot of London is a place apart from the rest of London. You know, yeah. So there are, there are people who live here, whether born here or came from outside or whatever. And then there's this sort of large swathe of it that is owned and controlled by somebody that isn't of it or part of it and hasn't really got any commitment to it. And I suppose it goes back to that whole thing that, that, that I've got about you know, sort of people having to go at a place that I grew up in and then moving out. And you think, well, that's fine, but you always have a duty to leave something behind and, yeah. and maybe try and improve it. 
which, which I know, you know, that goes back to my socialist politics or whatever, but I think, I think that is absolutely right. That's, that's a duty that we've all got as citizens, as people that, you know, exist with other people. And I think the one thing that you do know about if you, if you grow up as a Londoner is about, you know, a collective and what a society does and yeah. how, how it all works together and the balances that you need uh, in that as well. Well, this is the thing, it's balanced, is, That's it? a new thing that's happening at the moment, I think. Well, the, the other sort of repercussion of everyone moving to London is, you know, not everyone moves on, but, you know, you get this sort of drain from the provinces and people come to London. Mm. But the people coming to London, as you say, then the impact on house prices and, mm. you know, resources and the social impact in terms of, you know, as you say, areas growing uh, into prosperous areas mm. and the areas around them withering away. Sort of Which increases the resentment because it's like if you've had to go away from somewhere, you know, people, will, if you know, you grew up in Manchester or Glasgow or wherever, you're going to feel you have an attachment, I think, a lot of people do. And, you know, maybe in your teenage years, you think, I just want to get away, you know, I wanted to get out of Muswell Hill, you know, went all the way to Crouch End, you know, first of all, you know, I really <laughs> hit the road and kind of did that bit <laughs> of Jack Kerouac thing, you know, <laughs> as well. But people resent it and they just think, well, I've got to be here, but actually I, I wish I didn't have to. So that, that sense, of, and I think that's why London is quite unloved by a lot of the people that live in it. For a long time, because I think, you know, why I didn't really want to get pulled in here. I'd rather have done this in, you know, sort of Bristol or yeah. you know, Gloucester or wherever it was, you know, it come from. So it's all got a bit deep, that really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you talk about football to uh, level it out a bit and give it. Uh... Well, that, that's that's the other that's the other tribal thing, isn't it? It's really. I mean, that that was what, one of my big things, you know, that we used to. And I used to kind of stick it to my Arsenal supporting mates as well because it was all you know, Tottenham Arsenal really growing up in Harringay and of course Arsenal was South London team so mm. the great <laughs> fuck off back to South London chorus at the, yeah, yeah. At the derby oh, which of course I, I, I'm not, I'm not I, can't, I can't get into Holding it quite up, as much yeah. now you know. <laughs> but then again you know it's kind of blowing bits of South London like uh, you know I would come down to near where I live now where, you know if Spurs were playing at Sellers Park yeah, uh, which we did you know about six times in one season I, I, I think hmm. I remember uh, we used to either go, we used to go down to Norwood Junction from London Bridge, we up at London Bridge, and we'd either drink in a cherry tree opposite the station, or in the beer engine up at the other end of the high road as well. And we, we, you know, every, it's almost like you, the bar staff would recognise, oh wait, it's the Tottenham game, yeah, all right, that's, <laughs> you know, and you go in there. But and so I kind of knew, it's like you know, knowing lots of North London by tube stations, you start off on the on the tube map or wherever. Okay, yeah, we're going to go here, and it was like it was football grounds and the pubs that you could drink <laughs> in as an away fan by football yeah, grounds. Yeah. You know, and I've still got that with Fulham. You know, there's a couple of places that we go all the time I quite like it it's a nice walk across the park to the ground as well <laughs> so it's all stuff like that but uh, yeah so that there's that, that whole kind of you know and areas of London that surprise you as well you know Bromley being you know very kind of there's lots of Chelsea and funny enough West Ham yeah, yeah. In, in Bromley as well oh but, West Ham yeah. really yeah. Um, it does seem to be a bit of an area where people have migrated to Bromley mm. doesn't it yeah. do you know what I mean people yeah. kind of but Bromley want is, a bit it's, of a again, it's massive isn't it you know it's, yeah. it's, it's huge and the, I mean the other the other football thing I got because my oldest boy used to play um, sort of uh, youth football you know like under sevens under eights and all that so we were in the, in the South East London and Kent League so that you know I learned a lot of like where everything was you yeah. know it's like oh, right, course, we're at yeah. Footscray this Sunday morning nine o'clock <laughs> right okay <laughs> can I just ask is that a thing <laughs> <laughs> are you reading yeah. that correctly well, like, you know Pets Wood okay I've heard of it. <laughs> just, uh, just get the map out. That's it, but that and you know that's uh, you, you kind of find your way around like that as well, and that that was again that was a whole you know that that's a subculture and a half that is yeah the whole yeah. kids football and parents and kids right. football and man and man you know <laughs> the mums are worse than the dads a lot of times. Tell you as well. <laughs> it's just the aggression that goes on as mm. well because well. I ne- I never played a lot of Sunday league football as well, but I know you know you get all the stories there about you yeah know, terrible hide in the changing rooms because the people with baseball bats outside and everything. Yeah. Like. I had a group of, when I was at, um, I went to the, the Wassonada University of Westminster, partly of central London, up in, uh, in Upper Regent Street, and uh, kind of got to know Soho and Bloomsbury a lot, which is one, one of my favourite parts of London um, around that stage. But there's a group of mates I had who used to live in Northfield House in, in Peckham, uh, oh, which right. at one stage was like, a, I think the college had some interest in it, and it was a student flat. So, and they were all kind of, you know, various bits of lefties, as, you know, virtually everybody was in, in the 80s or, or so, we said. Uh, and they had a t- football Sunday league team called Red Star Northfield. <laughs> and apparently, uh, you know, and it was a bit obvious. It was a bunch of students called Red Star Northfield, you know, and they had like a kind of a, like a fist on a red star or something <laughs> on the shirt. And I think they turned up and they played a couple of like local sort of teams from like Bermondsey and it was like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they said it was like a pitch battle or something, you know, where's the ball, who cares, you know, mm. break his legs. <laughs> My dad played uh, sort of, yeah, uh, Sunday league football uh, in the sort of 
in sort of sixties and seventies. And he told one story where he was uh, he played for like a Courage's team. My granddad ran like a social club in the borough, and uh, it was run by Courage's. So they played for like the Courage's team, and they got to the final of uh, some uh, competition, and they were like just cruising it, winning three 0 at half time. And uh, this bloke came into the changing room, just opened up his uh, coat and had a shotgun. And he was like, uh, you don't win this one. And they were like, all right. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. Strange, yeah, it was like yeah. proper. And I, they I knew... saw someone throw a football boot at someone once. But they said they knew the other team were villains beforehand. And they were sort of anticipating. And they, they were surprised at how sort of, uh, not gentle, but like there was no sort of aggro at all on the pitch. And they were like, oh, this is easy, and this is going to yeah. be fine. And then last time they were like, all oh, right, they don't need to kick us because we're just going to lose, are we? Okay, good. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Gold. It's a golden age. It's a golden age, isn't it? You know. I know everyone's surprised that there were guns in London in the 60s, but they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. yeah. So you're a Spurs fan, Martin, as we've established. Yes. Probably wasted far too much of my, my life talking about and watching Spurs <laughs> and writing books about them, Natalie. We've got a few more yeah. minutes there yeah. to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to fill up, yeah. But yeah, so you've moved uh, some distance away from uh, the club. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the, the things that was a bit... I still, the hack back after an evening game is, is a bit of a pain. The overground opening up is, is yeah, made it a lot great, easier as well. I used to go That's from the across to um, Shoreditch High Street and then walk over to Liverpool Street. Yeah, yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah. Yeah, well, I go around yeah. to Highbury Corner now and then go... Oh, yeah, because it's extended well, yeah. up, get the... So, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's good. But, yeah, that, that was tricky. And, it's you know, it's stupid. It's, you know, the whole football has... I, I kind of admitted that I was kind of hooked years ago, and so that's it um, but it, it's kind of got too self-important and there's far too much time and effort put into it I think as well for although you hate people to say it's only a game but it kind of is and I think you need to remember that we all need to remember that sometimes but the, the, if I go to a game you know on Saturday or Sunday that's pretty much me out for the whole day yeah um, you know which is not great I mean you know my kids quite like my oldest boy's quite into it the youngest boy's trying to make up his mind and my wife likes to go you know to, to game as well but uh then starts getting incredibly expensive. That's what well. I was saying. Yeah, you bring in four yeah. people to yeah. well, I mean, like, football. Well, that's the thing. I can't. You know, there's five of us who sit together. We've sat together for years uh, at, the, at the game, and uh, you know, we've got season tickets, and there's that kind of regular thing. And there's a load of other people that we know that we meet beforehand. Um, but you know, legitimately, if I want to take my kids, I have to sell that ticket off my season ticket back to the club, wait till the month before the game, oh, phone up, see if I can get some tickets somewhere else, see if I can get them together. Yeah, you know, when I started going, you know, me and my mates, you, you go to Spurs on Saturdays on a Friday, yeah, and you get in for 50p at the schoolboys enclosure, you know, yeah, yeah. and I won't say sort of enough chains for a bag of chips, but, you know, it was almost <laughs> like that. Uh, and now, uh, you know, it's that the crowds are getting older, certainly at the Premier League games as well, because if you're, you know, if you're 12, you're not going to want to spend ages kind of checking your diary for like when the, when the tickets go on sale for the mm. Everton game or something like that. It's just that's pretty pointless. And so I think... You almost kind of hope that the bubble bursts and that kind of self-importance goes. But so, like my my lad will go. If I can get him in on a season ticket, or if I can, you know, we can go along and there's somebody's got a spare, then we'll go along. But actually, kind of organising to take everybody along. Well, also, it's the expense, and it is. Yeah, it's if you're a season ticket holder, well paid. But I find it hard. I don't know how a lot of people do it. I really don't know how a lot of people. No, I mean that's the main reason I don't go so much. I mean, I do go, but not you know every week or anything. But yeah, if if you want to go more than one person mm. and like one of you is a member or a season ticket holder, it's just an absolute nightmare, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Like there's special days where you can, uh, you know, order for a friend to come or whatever. Mm. But most of the time you have to sit in that seat and like, yeah. you know, the other people basically might get a, a single mm. somewhere. And that's what people get so hit up about it as well, because there's so much effort that's put into it. I mean, I've always, you know, I've been lucky. I've always said that if, you know, I would never... My family would never go hungry or want for anything because I've bought a season ticket or gone to the football. And I've, I've been lucky that I've always been able to keep that going. And, you know, uh, doing the books has kind of helped with that. I don't think we're going to be able to buy a yacht or anything yet on what I earn, but it's, <laughs> it's a few quid occasionally. Mm. Um, it's not really a business to go into if you want to earn lots of money. I, I will say that. But So there's, there's, there's that sort of stuff that goes on. And I, I hope I kind of keep it in perspective. But I know that, you know, I don't. And my, my missus is very understanding about it all. As well, partly because she she likes the game, but you know she's you know she's like, a Spurs uh, fan, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she she grew up. She, I think where she she was there's a bit of a dalliance with West Ham. I think she grew up in Wanstead, so it's kind of Spurs West Ham, <laughs> like that, you know. Um, but uh, and I think you know I'm sort of a bit full on with the old Spurs anyway. So, um, but and it's been you know it's enjoyable. I mean that's the thing we, you know the the Dulwich Hamlet uh, 
thing which we were going to come on to as well. Now, I was very conscious when I moved down that, you know, well, that, that's actually the closest ground to where I live now. Mm. And it's my local non-league team and uh, whatever. But it, was, it wasn't until the Maidstone game a couple of weeks ago that I finally got along there. So that's 11 years. And some of it is because I spent so much time going to Spurs as well. But there is also that thing of the, and I, you know, it was, it was really enjoyable. But you know what? The, the quality of the football wasn't as good. And actually, I like watching the quality of the football that's at Spurs. Uh, now, it was pretty... There wasn't a lot of difference, actually, for some of the stuff I've seen in some of the <laughs> yeah, from half <laughs> I mean, I was lucky that I, I first started going regularly in 1978 when we were in the old second division, and it was like, you've got to get behind the team to come back up. And I went, uh, I, I went to the cup final in 1981, and I went to the replay when Ricky Villa scored the best goal ever in a cup final anywhere, <laughs> everyone on the earth in the history of the game. Fact. You know, that's it. uh, so I kind of got hooked in uh, at that stage, and I was kind of quite lucky uh, that I did, and it, it was always going to be there. Um, and there's that, that, you know, it's almost like, you know, that kind of being in a foreign city or whatever is that it was, it was really good. I enjoyed that. And I'm going to go back to Dan Channel again, but it's not my team. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a poser and say, that, oh, yeah, I've really, you know, and there's that, which is a silly thing again, isn't it? And I don't know if it's a bloke thing or whatever, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, music and comics and all that, you know, people like, you know, I was into that first and now, now everyone else is into it. <laughs> shit, yeah. that's it. And you're just a hanger on and, you know, poses or whatever. So, but I'm kind of a bit conscious of that, you know. I think I mentioned the thing about people changing their team or whatever. And, and it's also very patronising when people say, well, have you got a non-league team? And it's like, yeah. it's not a stray pet. You know, people support Dulwich Hamlet because they're Dulwich yeah. Hamlet fans. And it's actually got, I, you know, I'd heard about the club and the history of the club before someone I used to work with years ago, a granddad had been involved with the club, I think, in the 50s or whatever. And I knew that they were, they were you know, the legends of the non-league game as well. So it's like, it wasn't just that, you know, it's the nearest grandpa. It's like, oh, that's Dulwich Hamlet. And then, of course, you know, when my oldest boy was playing football, Dudley Chamley had a load of youth teams, I think, when they were still officially affiliated with the club. And you know, because to him, he's going, they, they, they play in pink. What's all that about? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you later, you know. That's part of the appeal. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. It's great, but it's just like, that's pink, you know. You can't hmm. that, you know. Yeah, I um, grew up going to Dulwich because I, I went to Tottenham uh, Palace away, actually, when I was about 10. And then I didn't go. I went to Leeds in the FA Cup when I was... Uh, when Anderton scored that incredible goal. Oh, yeah. yeah when I was uh, 15 or 16. And then I started going mm. then. But before that, you know, there was no one to take me to Tottenham. Mm. So we went to Dunwich every week. It's such, it's a very different thing. And like you said, the football's completely, is mm. uh, very different. Yeah. But, but like, supporting a non-league club compared to supporting a Premier League club is such a different experience, I think. Mm. You know, you just, like, the biggest blog post I've ever had uh, on yourwinnerfromviews.com is uh, the club emailing me, telling me I can't use their logo, mm. and then the back and forth that we had. And I don't feel any affection for the club as a kind of business yeah. and no connection with them whatsoever. Mm. Almost a resentment. I mean, mm. I would say, you know, I actively don't <clears throat> like them as a company. <clears throat> but like with Dulwich Hamlet, it's just such a different thing. If you want to be part of the club, you can go and actually be part mm. of the club, yeah. you know, involved in renaming the road. Or paying the players, mm. or you know, building. And that's stands. important because people want it to be. I mean, we do have this conversation a lot lately. It's just that, I, and I, you know, I think that I probably support this thing that existed in the late seventies, early eighties, and the history, I suppose, and all the rest of it that doesn't really exist anymore. It, like all other Premiership clubs, it's it's a multinational business. It's a brand. And I, you know, I was there, and again, I was very involved in in left wing politics and unions, and you know, the minor strike sort of support groups in London, and the print afterwards, and anti apartheid, and all you know, all the the usual stuff, that whole kind of eighties lefty thing. But that was also when the the kind of fanzine movement was started. We used to do a fanzine at Spurs. That was all starting to come through, and the Independent Supporters Association, and you know, the battles between Sugar and Venables, and when Irving Scholar built the executive boxes on the on the on the shelf terrace at Spurs, and there was a there were massive protests against that. There was a sitting at the end of the game, and a lot of this history is is getting lost now. I was doing the Spurs podcast a few weeks ago, the Fighting Cock, um, oh, and they're kind of quite, you know, they're all sort of like you know late twenties, early thirties. So they they didn't know that kind of history no, is I gone in a way. But and all that's there, and that there is you know a lot of people I know were involved in those kind of fan organisations and different things as well, and that. that Bits of that are still there, but I've always had this real suspicion of the corporatisation of the club. And it's been odd the last few years with some of the books that we've done, the publishing company that I do quite a lot of stuff uh, for, uh, it's run by a couple of AFC Wimbledon fans, actually, so they've seen oh, right. the kind yeah, of bit yeah. as well. Yeah, they've been, um, and they've been down to a couple of their games, actually, and it's just, that's a good, good atmosphere. It's a different mm. story entirely. But um, we, because of the, the, 
they've kind of got a bit of a tie-up with the club now. So we've done some work on some of the books that we've done. And it's been great having that access and the backing from the club and you get a bit of extra sales and you get the access to the players. But you also see how badly a lot of the ex-players have been treated and they'll never yeah. say it. You know, they're yeah. real, you know, long-suffering, real kind of people like Cliff Jones or whatever are just really, really nice people. As a lot of those players are, you know, from the area. He seems like such a sweet real man, people, Cliff yeah. Jones. He's just, uh, he's just so really, lovely. And so it's been odd because I've kind of had this, right, oh no, I've gone official now, you know. I'm yeah, I was going to say, you're named by a couple then, of official books. And then sometimes, I mean, glory, glory, like, glory, how, glory, how did I manage to get in there? You know, did, <laughs> they, did, they, did they know who I was? You know, And I think they know that I'm a bit of a gobshite as well. But, you know, I suppose, you know, you everybody kind of compromises on stuff. And it's been nice to do, yeah, the Glory Glory Nights, the official history of Spurs in Europe was, was an official book and the book we did on the 61 on the double team as well mm. uh, and some of the other things that we've done have had a little bit of um, we've had a bit of help from the club with as well uh, the first book we did um, which we just reissued is an e-book which you can uh, get if you go through the South London Hardcore link and go to Amazon are they better off going through is it Ganksy? Uh, well, all, all that, Ganksy, it's a book called We Are Tottenham, which we wrote uh, in about 2004, me and a guy called Adam Powley, who I do a lot of the, 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 the book stuff with. Uh, I was say, it's another name that I'm and, Yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's, a, he's another journalist who grew up, grew up in Wood Green, uh, strangely enough. His dad used to work on the gate uh, at White Hut Lane um, mm. through the 60s. He was there for the, the first game against the Poles in, uh, in 62, Gornick Sable game, which oh, right. has kind of gone down in history as well. Um, but yeah, so we've done we've done a fair bit of stuff, and we did a book called We Are Tottenham, which we just reissued. The rights revert to us as, as an ebook, which is the first book we got published, uh, where we we interviewed a lot of. Uh, there was this whole idea that a football crowd is one thing, and it isn't. You know, no crowd is one thing, and and it's almost like I remember the time when football supporters had no visibility at all, and now possibly, you know, they're, they're too visible and they're, they're too there's too much kind of talked about them, but they've been commodified as well. So mm. we tried to say there's loads of different people. So like we interviewed Norman Jay, who was the only kind of, right. who's like Adam was a massive Norman Jay fan anyway, and they, you know, I used to used to go to the Kiss, some of the Kiss kind of club nights in Dingwalls, you know, before when it was at a private station before it kind of went there, and Norman was doing stuff there, and he's, he's a, just a proper Tottenham fan from the same kind of streets as we are and you know he's just kind of you know really interesting guy to talk to but he was like the only personality that we interviewed and then we just wanted to interview ordinary fans uh, and got a, a kind of cross-section and one of the people we interviewed who, who we, we kind of didn't give his identity away was one of the old hooligan kind of general guys or he'd been involved he wasn't a big noise but he'd been involved mm. in the whole thing and we got a load of stick for that we said, well look you know I've never believed this thing that hooligans aren't fans. You know, it's not my sort of mm. thing. If you look at my build, you kind of know that that's not my sort of thing. But actually, they know their stuff and they support the team. You know, the hooligans from any club, you know. And that's part of the story. And that's, I suppose, it's, it's you know, back to the London conversation as well, that any place or anything, it's actually, you know, the socialism again. You know, history is made by people. And mm. it, that's, it's the personalities and the lives and the experiences and the, the decisions that are based on those, the, the motive forces of history, if you like. And that's the really interesting story about any institution or any area as well. It's not just bricks and mortar or a name or something. It's what's behind it. And fo football clubs especially are in danger of forgetting that at the top end of the game. They I think they actively, they're actively it. forgetting it. You know, they don't, it's almost like they don't uh, need to. They've got as many mm. people waiting to get in the ground. Well, I, mean, you know, I, I, I kept buying a season ticket every year when we were crap, you know, so I'm, I'm a mug, you know, and they, they know that the people, you know, if, if you keep paying the money, I think they charge too much. You know, mm. my season ticket's gone up 102% in the last 12 years. Right? My, my, my earnings haven't gone up that much. Nothing else has gone up that much. And actually, from next season when the bottom team in the Premiership will earn more just from the TV deal than Man City got last year for winning yeah. the Premier League, they could afford to cut the ticket prices by half and still not lose any money. Every club in the Premiership could do that, but they won't do it. So but the thing is now... we mugs for paying it, so, you know... Going back to what you were saying about Irving Scholar and West Ham had a similar thing with the Bonds exactly, team, and yeah. there was a huge sort of uh, backlash from mm. the supporters, and, you know, it worked. Mm. And it wouldn't work in the same way now because... Although clubs do, you know, mm. and as you say, you know, team prices are going up and, you're, and the, the, the ground's still selling out, it's the TV money that's mm. the, 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 mm. the, the sort of the core of the revenue, yeah. isn't it? So the clubs can almost sort of go, the fans are upset, whatever. Other mm. people, you know, A, other people come, B, even if like, you know, 10,000 don't turn up, we're making... Mm billions off of TV deals as opposed and, to... And, we're, you know, and we're, we're the backdrop. But, but then yeah. a lot of it is... Well, I mean, there's always been... You know, I've always been quite kind of politically active in, in, in various things, probably less so, you know, some of that's the kids and some of it's, you know, is a, is a whole other show entirely. Um, 
But I've always been slightly suspicious of the kind of political activism around football because it's needed anywhere, but it's like it's not the most important thing actually. Mm-hmm. And I, I go there. It's like you know, I didn't write about football for years because it was a busman's holiday. You know, I'm a journalist, but actually that's what I did on my day off. And I think that's a lot of people's attitude. You know what, I know there's all this stuff wrong, but you know what, I'm not going to campaign against the ticket. I'm not going to organise a boycott. I'm not going to do this for the ground or whatever. You know, let's shut in Lewisham Hospital down. You know, yeah. the, the, you know that, that's the important stuff. Yeah. And of course football's important and you need a bit of variety. But, and that's, so there's always been that problem with any kind of political activism or any kind of fans movement, aside from a lot of the rivalry that goes on as well. I've always been a bit torn with, uh, with the ticket price thing because, I mean, I don't have any money. Um, and you know I've got socialist politics, you know, mm. like you, um, and yeah, they've got a monopoly on selling Tottenham games. Do you mm. know what I mean? They are operating mm. under a monopoly, and I would like to pay less. And you know, I feel mm. like they have got responsibility to mm. sell us tickets mm. at less price, uh, a lower price. But at the same time, the supply and demand is going to dictate it. I kind of feel like we've got. There's mm. no hope of it changing. Mm. That's my main. Well, my because main possibly there concern. isn't. But I think I think the problem is that the, and, and it was Spurs that started it by floating on the stock exchange. That, that, that football clubs. If you look at back at the history of any football club, and it's in a way that's where that there's that growing interest in, in non-league football as well, because there's that connection between the team and the sense of place and the supporters as well. They started off with sporting institutions, so the money they made went into the sporting institution, and they also gave back. You know that idea of the enlightened business people as well, that you give back to the community whose skills you use in order to, to make your profit and to run your business as well. Um, it's kind of like kind of reform capitalism, if you like, as well. But that's what it was all about. And clubs aren't sporting institutions anymore. You know, they are, they are private companies that are bought and sold by individuals uh, who are looking to enrich themselves. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the thing that's changed because you know the joke used to be the best way to make a small fortune in football was to start off with a big fortune, you know. <laughs> and, and you never, when it was the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker that used to own the local club, they used to do it for the prestige, you know. Yeah, it's like being on the local council or yeah, something yeah. like that. It didn't really do much good, but you know, the local councils did at one stage. But you know, <laughs> but that that was it. But now it's uh, that that and so that that connection has been broken as well. But they still trade on that, you know, to have a strong brand to have a West Ham or I suppose or an Arsenal or whatever or Crystal Palace is that. Just the history, the fact that you're not going to switch like you switch a supermarket or a burger chain or something like that. And they use that to sell you the product, but then they say, well, actually, you're not part of it. And there is that, I think there is a bit of a turning point, and it's part of a, there's a more general thing with what's going on economically at the moment. There's more of a general sort of questioning of, of exactly, you know, who owns what and in whose interest is this as well. And I think, because I think for, there was, there was, there was almost too much, you know, the, a lot of the, the left politics in the 80s were more interested in fighting each other than we were fighting the people that were kind of doing it to us. And there's all the, you know, like the Judean People's Front, you yeah. know, <laughs> always comes to mind, you know, the splitters well, that, and all the rest of that it. Tony Benn video that's come out recently? Yeah, no, that's... that's, that's and it's a great video yeah. now, he just reels off all the socialist organisations. Mm. So you're like, you're not lacking social, you're yeah. lacking organisation among socialists. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the issue. And that's it. it, yeah, that was it. I think but but, but there, there, was, there, was, there was that which was, was, there was seemingly a lot of sort of ferment and then I think it just all went. And I, th- I think actually the, the thing that killed a lot of it off was the anti-war march. You know, a million went out and they went, yeah, OK. Yeah. And they still went to war. Uh, and, you know, OK, what have demonstrations ever done? No, but th- I think th- the thing that killed pieces, it was the fact that it was a Labour government that went yeah, to yeah, war. Yeah, yeah, as well. That was, and I think was like, that was, like that was our best hope, wasn't it? it yeah. You know, if, if they're not listening to the people, yeah. no one's going to listen to the people. Absolutely. What's yeah. the point? And, and there, I think there was a, a long period of people not questioning and partly because they didn't really see the point because, you know, and I still find it difficult, you know, who, there's not really much of a choice at elections. And I know that that's a bad thing to say because sometimes there absolutely is. Um, but basically the, all three major parties are paddling neoliberal economics. And yeah. I don't, that's not my thing. I don't think it works. And I think it's obvious that it doesn't work with what's happening in a country at the moment. So I think it works you know, for some people. But and unfortunately, people are, they're the yeah, ones... Yeah. You know. But people are starting to question things again now. Um, and, you know, my You've got a late MP sort of quibbling you know. about dinner allowances. You know, mm. just sort of going, uh, it's outrageous that I've got to wait till this time to spend. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Dinner allowances? Look at your salary. Who gets dinner but allowances? There, there might be, there might be some, I, I, I think there's a bit more hope now with stuff. I mean, when I was working as a freelancer, I'd, I'd sort of started, apparently I'm now a business journalist, but I was, it was at a time when the kind of UK Uncut stuff was starting and that whole thing. You know, what, in six months' time, they popularised the issue of tax avoidance. Right, Labour were in power for 13 years and mm. wouldn't go close to it because the Daily Mail would have hammered them. So, well, also you know, a lot there, of there's stuff happening, and it might not go anywhere. But there, there just seemed to me to be a time when 
Uh, you know, and it's probably sounded like a real, the kind of old tossers that we used to hate when we were kind of like in our late teens and early 20s. But we used to think like, you know, why aren't the, you know, why are the kids, you know, questioning things? Why aren't they, you know, why aren't the students doing stuff? Why aren't, you know, why aren't young people involved in politics? You know, that horrible phrase, you know, what's a young person? But there didn't seem to be that. And there was always that, my family weren't politically involved, but I kind of got into it because of what was happening around me. And there was a lot of... You know, Haringey was quite an area. There's a lot of you know a- ANC exiles, and the, the two wings of the British Communist Party at the time that were fighting each other were, you know, back, back to that again. Where there was a lot of people around there that were involved and had been involved for a long time uh, in left-wing politics. So you kind of picked up on all that. But I think a lot of it, a lot of it stopped. Uh, and I, I just the last five or six years or so, I think there's just been a bit of resurgence of people not pretending that they've got the answers or saying follow me, I'm the leader, and we, we've got this, but just saying we need to question stuff. And we need to say, let's put a break on this a little bit and work out what's going on. Well, I think a combination of uh, Cameron in Downing Street and Boris Johnson as Mayor of London has really brought home yeah. to people Oof. what these things mean. But Boris, he's so funny, though, isn't he, Boris? It's hilarious, <laughs> isn't he? That's the good Which news. is what you look for in a mayor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's turned into uh, kind of daily politics. Now, it? It's like Andrew Mars just kind of hanging around on the corner there, you know. And, uh, what have I done? <laughs> done to South London hardcore. <laughs> You've been involved a bit in the Lewisham uh, Save Lewisham A and E movement, haven't you? Uh, I, I've been, yeah. I've, I've probably not involved as in an organisational sense. I've I've kind of publicised it to people around me, and I've tried to push it, and I've used a bit of the social media sort of following that I've done, and I've blogged. I tend not to blog about politics. Um, it's a kind of whole new thing as well. No but, politics, um, no football. Yeah, yeah there's no religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've kind of, I've, we, you know, the family went on the on the on the, the demos, and uh, it was the first uh, demonstration that my oldest son went on, which I was quite proud of him about. He thought younger son went on loads, yeah. is he? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, he's still a bit little, and all this kind of pushing the kid around on a yeah, demo. Not, I've yeah. never been entirely convinced no, by that. Wait till he's ten, and then yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So I've I've kind of been reasonably active in that and tried to do something, and I've kind of been a bit conscious that you know, like a lot of people in London, again, you know, I. I I go out at seven in the morning, I get home at eight at night, and you know, because I work in central London, it's an hour in and an hour out. So, how much time do I actually spend in a local area? And it's been good seeing the community mobilising around that as well. Millwall Football Club have been brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Charlton have been pretty good on, on that as well, they're coming behind it. But Millwall really got in there, first of all, and worn the t shirts and the televised games. They've used a cup run to try and do it. And, but the, the community well, they really come together. They? Yeah, so well, they've just said been... this is where our players and our staff and our supporters were born and get treated. And, yeah. and, and it's just, you know, and it, anybody who lives there knows that the, the, the scheme is madness and they know what the government's up to. Were, were you at the meeting well? when Boris Johnson got heckled? No, I wasn't there. Right? Yeah. Sounds good. Did you see, you've seen yeah, no, I've seen it. It's good. I mean, I would like to still be more, more involved in it, but it's again, we you know, it's, it's a relatively young family and it's also the working hours as well. So, you know, but I do what I can and I try and make a bit of a noise about it and again you know if, if anyone listening to the podcast is not aware of what goes on you know look at the Save Lewisham Hospital campaign website and and bone up on it because it's going to affect everybody. I think what's interesting about that campaign is that it, 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 it has just said that this is about do you do you think that one hospital for three quarters of a million people is going to work you know how far how long it takes you to get from one side of Lewisham to the other let alone from Lewisham to the other side of Woolwich. Right. Uh, been lies as well, you've had it? an accident what does that mean it's nothing to do with big politics or anything like that although it is if you want to take it in that direction it's just about do you think that there should be a hospital have you used it and you know we, my kids have been to that hospital and they've been sorted out at that hospital as well and I think anybody who lives around you know where, where we live they, they know how important it is you know King's is, is a fantastic hospital as well but they are absolutely bricking themselves about the prospect of, of what happens because there's so much more going to come their way as well, which is the thing that hasn't been thought of in this plan, to save the failing hospital, so-called failing hospital yeah. over in, uh, in, in, uh, in Woolwich. You know, we close Lewisham so everybody will go that way. Most people in Lewisham are going to come to King's. Mm. You know, well, there's, there's two, and, and the, the other part of that is the inherent nonsense of going, this hospital's working too well, and this yeah. one isn't working well. So we'll close one's working yeah, too yeah. well. Yeah. We'll make one worse, yeah. Yeah, just really... Yeah. Uh, can't see any logic to that whatsoever. But it's one of those things that it's such a, a basic issue that people have seen through all the kind of political flimflammery and also the ambitions of people around it as well and just said, look, hold on a minute, I know what this means to my life. Yeah. And actually that, that's what politics is about to me and it's been made to, you know, I've been 
as bad as anybody else that's involved in the eighties. We've sat around having conversations about you know whether Lenin stubbed his left toe on the on the right hand <laughs> side of the coffee table or not, and did that mean that you know the Bolshevik Revolution was inherently you know what you know? My, yeah, yeah. Talk, I don't really care about all this stuff. You know what I care about is how does it relate to my life? That's that's how people uh, relate to it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up. You know, my, we read the Mirror when it was a really good newspaper in my house, and that that was my kind of. I started taking notice of what was going on in the world. The Mirror did things about thalidomide and Vietnam and the National Health Service being under threat. You know, in the mid seventies. People 70s, listening you know, now yeah. won't believe that. They no, yeah, won't it was believe an amazing that campaign was, uh, newspaper. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was really. And you know, that that style of journalism is still out there, but actually. You, you get a lot more of that from independent podcasts, from a lot of bloggers and people on the web as well. And the, the mainstream media, which I've been a part of for you know, 25 years of, you know, sort of, of, of my working life, has got a lot to answer for in terms of not taking on... You know, there are reasons for that as well, and sometimes it has been noticed, but what's happened with, you know, in my industry with the internet and everything like that, and the, that you know, there's, there is a threat to the trade and to the standards, if you like, in one respect, but it's got to be a good thing when people, so many good, knowledgeable people are able to express themselves in ways that they couldn't have thought possible before. You know, just doing something like this, you know, and I said, I've, I've liked the show for quite a long time uh, because of the kind of local history and what you pick up and just picking up again on, you know, the psychogeography, you know, the, the, you know, the between the lines of a place as well. And I, th- I think it's a fantastic thing what's happened to, to media in the past 10 years. Thanks for coming, Martin. Much appreciated. Real pleasure. Real pleasure. You can go to Martin's website, martincloak.com, for what will they find there, Martin? Um, a load of old guff. Uh, the the <laughs> books, I suppose, as you push. Um, there, there are various Spurs books um, that you can buy as uh, hard covers. Um, I've read the Spurs Miscellany. I've really reviewed it for the site, uh, so I'll put it on the review yeah. on our site as well. Yeah, there's a book That's called, brilliant. book called The Boys from White Hart Lane, which is also available as an e-book, which is about the Spurs team in the early 80s that I grew up watching. With, uh, we've interviewed Ozzy Ardiles, Ricky Villa, Steve Perriman, um, Graham Roberts, all the, all the heroes, Tony Parks, the, the penalty save hero, the 84 UEFA Cup final. Uh, there's a book called 61 The Spurs Double, which is the official uh, Commemoration of yeah, 50 years that. of the double team. Beautiful, but I, I, I sold that at Waterstones Piccadilly. Yeah. And I remember, do you remember I showed it to you and I was like, you've got to see this. Yeah. Book. It was just gorgeous. It came, and like, you know, you'd work and you'd see the thing about uh, all publishing is there's, you know, good and bad, mm. obviously. But uh, it was one of those books where you just want to show people, even people who aren't Spurs fans, man, oh, this is, yeah. no, it was a gorgeous book. It was well, we, 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 that's it, oh, both of it. we, we won the Illustrated Sports Book of the Year. Um, award at the British the Sports Sportings Club. Yeah, I um, yeah. was a judge. Oh, who uh, are you really? That. Not in that category. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> Not in that yeah, category. Yeah. But yeah, so I was. Uh, yeah. Oh, were you at the uh, dinner? I was at the dinner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I would have been uh, the judge's yeah. table, wouldn't it? Steve would have been there. I was at the uh, dinner, <laughs> and you, you will probably remember our table because my my co-author Adam had had a, uh, a bit of an accident um, a few weeks before, and so I had to wear an eye patch, and everyone thought he was taking a piss because we had like, <laughs> we had the, we had the penguin suits on. It's some kind of pirate thing going on here, you know, pirate publishing. So yeah, there's that. Uh, there's the Glory Glory Nights, which is the official history of Spurs in Europe, um, and uh, we've got a book uh, which is just as available as an ebook now called We Are Tottenham, which is the first thing we wrote. Voices from Art Lane, yeah. which you were talking about. Earlier, uh, isn't it? And there are a number of. Um, there's a book on Danny Blanchflower, one on Arthur Rowe, one on Glenn Hoddle. We do a series of short ebooks, which are only two ninety nine, um, eight thousand, six to eight thousand words long, which sort of you know different perspective on a on a, a big figure, and there's a few of those planned as well. So that's the that's the commercial break side of it as well. No, all, get on this. All can there, be, so. all I mean, can if you're be a got Spurs through fan. the uh, South London Hardcore website. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and at, what, at some stage, it would be quite, I'd need to start writing about something other than flipping Spurs as well. So, <laughs> so, which I mean, we were kind of chatting. Maybe it's a, maybe it's another discussion for another show down the line. We were chatting about crime fiction because I'm a big crime fiction fan and London crime fiction novels as well. So I'll do another plug. If people haven't read the books of Kathy Unsworth, who is a fantastic London crime noir author, mm. you should go out there and read that. A couple of fantastic books, one set in Camden, one set in, uh, in West London, as far as you know, called Bad Penny Blues, um, which is mm. one of the best crime books I've ever read. Uh, it's up there with the David Pieces and James Elroy's, as far as I'm concerned. And David Peace thinks so as well. So, oh, wow. so yeah, sort of... Once removed commercial plug there. <laughs> <laughs> First, people can look out for uh, murder in Forest Hill, yeah. Murder in Forest Hill, yeah. So I've got, I've got to do it first, and then I've got to write it up, and then. Uh, <laughs>